the root of true freedom. The root of true freedom. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered, said to him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Wow. <laughs> how, can we, how can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, verse 34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Can you say amen? I love that verse. Also reading from Second Peter. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome by him, also he is brought into bondage. Then one more verse, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. His iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sins. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak it to our hearts. Reveal it to us through your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. All liberty is precious. But political and physical freedom are freedoms merely of the second order. Freedom of the first order is spiritual freedoms, and this is transcendent. No man in this world attains the freedom from any slavery except by entrance into some higher servitude. What are you talking about, that pastor? I'm saying this morning that we're either a slave to Satan or we are either a slave to Jesus Christ. And that's the blessed part. A servant, certainly, of Jesus Christ. It is important that we understand that God wants us free. First of all, I wanted to look briefly, if you will allow me, at American history. 88% of elementary school teachers consider teaching history a low priority. Why? I, if I would ask these young people, especially those that left, are they being taught history in school? Any of you keep up with that? Is history being taught in school anymore? That's a good question because a 2014 report by the National Assessment of Edu- Educational Progress showed that an abysmal 18% of American high school kids were proficient in U.S. history. Why is that? Only 18%. I asked that question because I wanted to know. And so I sat down this week and I looked that up. Why in our schools, whether it's mainly our public schools and some private schools, why 
is American history not being taught? And I list several here. I want you to notice what I think are some of the reasons that American history is no longer being taught as it one time was. And it's important because the study of American history cultivates an understanding and appreciation for the ideals the nation was founded upon. How important it is for us to know our history. George Orwell says this, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. In other words, do away with their history. Don't teach young people history. The notion that American history, a once valued subject, is no longer a priority in public schools is profoundly, profoundly disconcerting. And he goes on to say that to do away with American history, in his view, will have a dire ramification as children grow up ignorant and unaware of the essential beliefs which have guided our nation for nearly three centuries. Let me read some others. If the youngest generations of America lack a basic understanding of the past, what kind of nation will this be in 10, 20, even 100 years from now? What kind of leaders will we produce? Some more. The purpose of the U.S. education system and the reason it was established is primarily to provide students with the requisite knowledge and skills to live more successful lives. Yet, when we perpetually fail to teach American history in schools, we inevitably weaken the nation because our children grow up without any real sense of national identity. Are you still awake? They turned those lights on and I can hardly see you out there, but I guess you're still awake. It is important, one more, and that in the end is ultimately what the founding fathers pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to establish. So we need to know about that. We need to understand history. In fact, when you look at the Bible, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11, that Israel, the history of Israel, and this nation, the study of Israel, became an example for us. Why look at Israel? Why study history? Because it's an example to us. And he says, Paul said, writing to the church at Corinth, it happened for our example. We're to know why we do certain things. Why is American history not being taught in our public schools? Number one, because students aren't tested on it at the state level. And so the teachers and the people say, why teach it if they're not going to be tested on it? Who stopped it from being tested on a state level? Who stopped that? A bunch of liberals got together. They didn't like it, so they stopped it. Number two, teachers don't know enough history to teach it. I'm certainly not knocking teachers here this morning. Uh, and I just, uh, I, I'm just amazed 
at what goes on in our public schools and what does not go on in our public schools. You young people, you, you, you kids, uh, think about this in, in your schools. Is it being taught? Number three, they don't want to offend anyone. Instead of addressing sticky subjects, they just simply skip it. You see, why why would American history offend someone? You can't read. You know, that song that we just sung and the songs that were written many years ago has so much in them, the verses and the courses, about our relationship with a higher power, which is God Almighty. And they don't want to hear about that. Another reason, it's the norm to erase the parts of history that we find uncomfortable. And you can't read behind any or or many of the presidents, many of the congressional leaders, many of the political leaders, many of those that founded this nation and not know that they believe in God Almighty. Listen to this, Independence Day, celebrating America's 200, today, uh, this Tuesday, 241st birthday. 240 years, 241 years ago, 56 founding fathers pledged their lives, their fortunes, and sacred honor, putting literally their lives and monies and their reputation on the line. To guarantee freedom for future generations. Because of their sacrifice, America still the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. This is a blessing we tend to take for granted. Typically, listen to this. Fourth of July celebrations include cookouts, firework shows, days at amusement parks, and other activities. However... When the founding fathers reflected on what they felt upcoming 4th of July celebrations might and should look like, John Adams said this. John Adams was which president of the United States? Whoa, he was. Who was the sixth president of the United States? Whoa, who is that saying all that? Gretchen, bless you. Huh? Well, you hit it. John Quincy Adams was the sixth president, and he was John Adams' son. Listen, John Adams said it should also be a day when we remembered God's hand in deliverance and a day of religious activities when we committed ourselves to him in solemn acts of devotion to Almighty God. They don't want to hear that anymore. They're not going to teach that to our kids anymore. They're not going to tell about the pilgrims and and the prayers and and the pilgrims and the Indians getting together and blessing the food and and enjoying the food and and fellowship. They're not going to tell that anymore. The birthday, he goes on to say, listen, of the nation is indissolubly with the birthday of the Savior. Now, he's not just talking about any. Any religion, he's talking about Christianity. It forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human 
government upon the first precepts of Christianity. They're not going to listen to that anymore. They're not going to let their kids see that anymore. You can't go to Washington, D.C. and go to the Supreme Court building, the Washington Monument, Abraham Lincoln Memorial. All of these buildings got etched in stone scripture and statements about God Almighty and Jesus Christ. That's why we don't have American history anymore. They're not going to let it be taught. Take time, he says, speaking of John Adams, take time to honor and thank God on the 4th, making it a day of celebration with solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Somebody say hallelujah. That's good. I mean, it's important. One teacher said concerning America, teaching American history, our students don't want to see the relevance to their own lives of what dead people did. They don't see the relevance. Why study a dead man? I'll tell you why. You learn something. You learn a lot from our forefathers. You learn a lot from history. American studies means, the teacher went on to say, more to them than American history. Yeah. And you lose all the good things that helps us to live a life and appreciate the past and have hope for the future. Because if we don't appreciate the past and understand the past, and really understand the present, we don't have hope for the future. It is important that we do. We learn. I don't know why America can't learn anymore. I don't understand it. If you lived in Illinois and you won the lottery, if it was $150 million or whatever it was, you wouldn't draw that. You wouldn't get it. You know why? You know why? Because Illinois, the state of Illinois, is broke. The state of Illinois is in $203 billion worth of debt. It is in, it's $83 billion in debt when it comes to the pension that they've promised the retirees. One of the reasons they're there is because they were spending or are in spending more on pensions and services than the state could afford. So what did they do? They tax and tax and tax and taxes are so high, people are leaving the state of Illinois by the droves. Chicago runs it. Greed. You can't feed greed and be satisfied. Boy, it's quiet in here. I hope you're okay out there. You can't feed greed and be satisfied. What's the state that sits on top of Illinois? What's that state? Who? Who said it? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Wisconsin was in the same shape as Illinois was. Illinois, I mean Wisconsin, has a $1 billion in surplus. Talking about Wisconsin. You know how much they cut in taxes 
Wisconsin, I'm thinking about moving there, $541 million they cut in taxes. And yet they have a billion dollars in surplus. What's the difference? One state's here, one state's here. What's the difference? It looks like to me the fathers that grew Illinois would go up and talk to Wisconsin and do the same thing. But you think they're going to do that? No. Because people's grabbing all the people. America is so selfish. I, I could get political, but I won't. I don't need to do that. It's important that we learn. Why don't we want to learn? If you continue to do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And if we're in debt, why don't we get out of debt? But you won't get out of debt if you continue to do what you've always done. Now you're going to get angry at me, I'm sure. God's people shouldn't be in debt. Now, don't get me wrong. We pay for our houses, our cars, and we have to finance those. But God does not want us to be in debt. Because you're slave to the person you owe money to. Can't, you know, we need to learn. I better quit meddling and go start back preaching again. It's important that we learn and I thank God, you know, one thing about getting old, and I am old. I was feeling good about 241 years. This country was 241 years, and somebody told me I have lived over a third of the life of this country. Boy, I felt depressed. (laughs) You say freedom 76, it's more than what, 241 years? But we should learn. One thing about getting old, you learn, I hope. You learn. You learn how most of all to abide by the word of God. Larry Smith gave a challenge to this congregation this morning. And you learn what that man said is worth more than all the gold you could ever accumulate. It's important that we understand that the truth is found in Jesus Christ and the truth is found in the word of God and outside of that there is no truth we're like we're like these pharisees what pharisees were Jesus was talking to them and he he was talking about being free and you hear what they said we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone they were in bondage then to Rome And they'd been in bondage to all the great uh, nations before. But there are a lot of people in bondage and they got something right here. Oh, I'm free. I can go where I want to, do what I want to. But are you really free? Preacher, you're preaching hard on this fourth. We're supposed to have fireworks and see all kind of happy things. It's important that we understand what's happened in the past, and not fall into the same trap that so many people fall into. God's word will liberate us and set us free. Can you say amen? What does it mean to be a slave? Everyone is a slave in the spiritual sense, either to sin or we are a slave to Jesus Christ. If the Lord calls you and you are a slave, this is 1 Corinthians 7, 
If you are a slave, remember that Christ has set you free from the awful power of sin. That's what I like about our relationship with Jesus Christ. He not only sets us free, but he sets us free from the power of sin. Somebody says, I can't help but doing so and so. The devil made me do this. I can't help for, for, I have to lust and all of these things. You don't have to do any of that. June Evans put out a post. And she said, living a Christian life is easy. It's living for the devil that's hard. And we let the devil paint a different picture. We say, oh, living for God, it's so bad. It's not. Being Jesus' slave is wonderful. Hallelujah. Preach it, pastor. If the Lord calls you and you are a slave, remember that Christ has set you free from the awful power of sin. And if he has called you and you are free, remember that you are now a slave of Christ. I'm happily married. I'm bound by, by promise that till death do us part. When I go off and I get ready to come back, I call my wife and, and I tell her where I'm going to be. I let her know where I'm at. I don't run off out here and stay gone for hours at a time. And I'll let her know. Is that Okay. But I'm happy married. Well, I don't know if I want to be bound up. I'm not going to go before a preacher and make a vow. I'm not going to. Listen, there's, it's freedom. I choose those things. It is very, very. As a sinner, man follows the lust of the heart. Indulging in the flesh, egos, and desires, thinking all the time he is in control. The prodigal came to his dad. He said, Dad, I want that that, be, that belongs to me. I want you to give it to me. And the Bible said he went out to a far country and he spent everything that he had. And he thought, I'm free. I don't have to be under my dad's coattail anymore. I don't have to work that farm anymore. I can go out here. I got plenty of money. I can do all of these things not knowing and not realizing and not confessing to the point that he was bound. Where did he wind up? In the pig pen. Where did he wind up? He wound up poor. He had nothing. He didn't even have food to eat. And that's where the devil leads us. We think all the time, boy, I'm free. I can go where I want to, do what I want to. I don't have to be bound by all those uh, guidelines and all those rules and regulations. Can you imagine if we got up in the morning and everybody that drove a car disregarded all the laws on the street be a total mess wouldn't it can you imagine when we when the laws that God has set up can you imagine us disregarding those we find out we're in a mess it's important that we follow those guidelines being a slave being a slave to sin brings nothing but bondage, nothing but suffering, and nothing but death. Paul wrote to the church at Rome this, What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
And these people that think that they're a boy, they got the world by the tail and they're just going and enjoying all of this. And nobody, they're not going to be responsible to anybody. They're not going to be answerable to anybody. And we're free. The end of that is death. For the wages of sin is death. We don't want to go that route. We do not want to go that route. Sin promises freedom, but brings slavery. And I read that Second Peter a while ago. People think, oh, I'm free now. I can do all of these things. Paul uses the analogy of slavery to combat a casual attitude toward sin. Romans chapter 6. Listen to this. It's a little long, but stay with me. Stay with me. Here we go. Romans 6, 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not, Paul says. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? A slave to that sin, a slave to that drug, a slave to that addiction, a slave to that spirit, a slave to pride, and all of the immoralities that go on in the world. You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Verse 17. But God is thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from uh, the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak, Paul said, in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free to regard in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, Paul says. But now having been set free from sin... And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting. And the last verse, 23, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. It is important. The root of true freedom. Now, I'm ending with this. The root of true freedom. The solution to the sin problem on God's terms. The solution to freedom on God's terms. How important it is. Look, number one, truth. Now, I read this earlier. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and you're my disciples indeed, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Then answered them and they said what they said about Abraham. Jesus answered them back and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. We don't see that, though. You watch the beer commercials, and they've got these beautiful girls, these handsome men. And they're just smiling. Their teeth look perfect. They look perfect. They're enjoying this and they sit back and they tell you and they tell the world and they tell millions of young people, it don't get no better than this. You go down to the slums, you go down where sin has taken its toll, you go down where alcohol has, has added to the crime and added to the misery. 
You watch this guy walking on Coal Mill Road with his guitar. The sadness in his face. Him and millions of more people are drug in because of that. Truth, it's a, a spiritual bondage is unknown to the subject. First of all, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then verse 34 and 36, amen. It says that the Son, whom the Son has made free, is free indeed. And then the last verse I want to read is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. Three things. Number one. We're free through and by God's word. We're free through and by his son. We're free through and by the Holy Spirit. Could we just be honest with ourselves this morning? Are you free? Do you know today that Jesus Christ has made you free? I trust this morning that All of us have experienced that or are experiencing that freedom. There's nothing like being set free by the power of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The prodigal in the condition that he was, ragged, couldn't clothe himself. Not enough food to eat. He had to eat the pig's food. But the Bible says he came to himself. He got honest with himself. We have the word of God to take that mirror, that word like a mirror, and look into it. And say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to challenge you this morning. Be honest. Somebody says, well, I don't want to go up to the front. I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to move. I don't want to stand. I don't Listen, do anything to be set free. Come to Jesus Christ just as you are. There's not a Christian in this place today will look down on you if you're a sinner. The only way we'll look at you is through love and through prayer and extend the mercy of God to you. I want you to know that. But you can be free. And I just sense this morning that we need to do what I'm fixing to do, and that's give an altar call for those that do not know Jesus Christ.